VR was truly going to go mainstream, it couldn't happen when just tethered to a PlayStation or tethered to a PC. It needed to go to mobile. And that's what we got a little bit of this week when Samsung and Oculus announced Gear VR, a new mobile-focused initiative in which the Galaxy Note 4 functions as the display device when attached to a headset accessory that has been developed in Oculus in conjunction with Samsung. And they're putting out a sort of early adopter, early access beta innovator edition or whatever it's called later this year and one of the games that's going to be out there at launch is an oculus game called darknet it's a cyberpunk puzzle game that i featured on the site before Uh, it won an indicated vr game jam it's excellent it looks really really cool and was one of the first experiences that felt meaningfully made for virtual reality and the designer of that game, uh, E. McNeil, has actually been messing around with the Gear VR for a while. He had a meeting with Facebook uh, slash Oculus uh, months ago, and I hopped on Skype to chat with him about what he thinks of the new hardware, what it means for it to go mobile so quickly, and what we might be getting down the line. So why don't I throw it over to our conversation? You know, what, what exactly is Darknet? Darknet is a cyberpunk hacking game for the Oculus Rift. It is built exclusively for virtual reality, and it casts the player as a Hollywood hacker who's going inside the network and hacking a computer from the inside. Um, it's sort of hearkening to uh, classic cyberpunk fiction like Neuromancer and uh, Hackers and Ghosts in the Shell and Johnny Mnemonic and things like that. And what made this idea something that had to happen in VR? What I like to say is, whenever I put on the Oculus Rift, I felt like a hacker, no matter what (laughs) game I was playing. So, yeah, it seemed like a really, it fit in so well with the theme. Like, somebody had to do this. Um, It also works really well with my style of design, where I like to make gameplay-oriented, abstract games, and everybody has a different vision of cyberspace. So it was this really you know, a, a open canvas for me to, uh, to work with. I could make good mechanics and not have to worry about realism because, frankly, I could justify it within the fiction however I wanted. And you mentioned that you've worked on some sort of abstract stuff in the past. Are there, what other stuff have you worked on that has kind of led you then to, to Darknet? Um, I worked on a super abstract, simplified, real-time strategy game called Auralux, which is um, mostly popular on mobile. Um, I also did a, a little Ouya game called Bomb Ball, and it was actually, it wasn't slow and strategic at all. It was like an action sports game. Um, but if you look at them from like a design perspective, I think you see the common threads where they're all, you know, pretty abstract. It's just sort of like shapes moving around a screen, and they're about uh, skill and sort of like gameplay that respects the player's intelligence. Um, and so I, you know, I took that philosophy into um, making this VR game. And I think a lot of the early VR titles are, um, you know, focusing on sort of more experiential gameplay and exploration and things like that, which I'm super excited about. Um, But not as many are focusing on, like, deep gameplay. And so I am trying to build a game that's more oriented towards, um, you know, the the gamey gamer. And what does that actually mean? Like, what, what are you doing sort of moment to moment in Darknet? Um, so I kind of think of the game structured in, in layers. And the primary gameplay, there's like a strategic layer where you're examining this network of nodes that are all interconnected and protecting each other in different ways. 
and you, you're sort of managing resources to weaken this network and find weak spots. And you can zoom inside any one of these nodes and go to the, the lower level of gameplay, which is um, a randomly generated puzzle. And solving that puzzle uh, represents like manually hacking the node. Um, and the puzzle mechanics are, are not like uh, any other puzzle game that I'm aware of, so it's kind of hard to, to describe them you know, without illustration. Um, but they're trying to maintain like the same feeling of looking for weak spots in a complex system, because to me that's what hacking feels like. And you're like injecting viruses that spread through this system, and you're trying to reach the uh, the vulnerable core to capture the node. So the reason we're talking is because uh, at least when when we're chatting earlier today, uh, so, so Samsung and Oculus formally announced that they're doing sort of like the first major push into consumer mobile uh, virtual reality called. Uh, Gear VR, and that uh, you then you sent me a note saying, "Hey, I'm going to be one of the like launch titles for for mm -hmm. this thing." Although I guess it's it's like launch for the experimental early access version that right. isn't that's being couched as not a <laughs> final product, even though it's being sold in stores. But <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so, how early did you hear about this, and kind of what were your first impressions when the idea of mobile VR kind of was seemed like it might actually be a reality? So um, I had a meeting set up uh, with Oculus. I sort of I was in contact with Oculus because I um, the early version of Darknet um, won the VR Jam, which was Oculus's three-week game jam competition for the their first version of the Rift. Um, and so I kept in contact with Oculus, and at some point um, in about March, they invited me to a meeting with their VP of Mobile. And so I kind of had an idea of where that was going. <laughs> That's um, all in. Yeah, but it was still pretty surprising. I, I, I went into this room and they sat me down with a very early dev kit of what has become Gear VR. Um, and they put it on my head and sort of put me through a couple demos. And I remember taking it off and saying, I thought that was an unsolved problem. Like, I thought nobody could do that yet. Um, so it was, it was pretty convincing. You know, it was still very early. Like, uh, you know, the, the shape of it wasn't as comfortable as later versions of the dev kit, things like that. Um, but it was enough to convince me that, yeah, this was going to be a thing. Um, you know, it was it was a big step above the DK1, and um, even now, like the dev kit that I have, which is still you know not the the final version or even this like you know early access beta version, um, it's comparable to the DK2. It, it's better in many ways. And what you know, I guess for for the less technically savvy among us, like what what, sure. what is how does that translate? You know, I, I think a lot of folks at yeah. this point have used an Oculus or know someone have used an Oculus. And we have kind of a, a general sense of the you know the early kits and some of their limitations. Right. But like, what makes this one different? And especially as I've heard from a couple of folks that you know, and, and yourself included, that it's actually seemingly a little bit better than you know the current DK two Oculus kit. Right. Um, so the earliest version, the DK1, um, had like a, a very low resolution. You could sort of see between the pixels. People called it the screen door effect because mm -hmm. it looked like you're looking through a screen door. Um, and that was by and large solved when they, uh, the DK2 came out because they upgraded to um, a 1080p screen. Um, with the first version of Gear VR, they're actually using an even higher resolution, a 1440p screen. And so... This problem of resolution, which has been like one of the, the key issues um, with getting high fidelity in VR, it's already stepping beyond what's available on PC, which is kind of incredible. Um, they also have done some really fancy technical things um, like under the hood, 
they've point, kind of pointed John Carmack at the problem and <laughs> blasted it away. Um, and, you know, it, it, that's, I can't really go into that and still, you know, not be technically savvy about it. It involves things like asynchronous time warp, which to me sounds pretty cool. But um, essentially what they've done is found clever ways to reduce latency. So when you look around, um, the view is all updated almost instantly. And it feels, you know, it's not like you're looking through this simulation. It feels like you're looking through like a, a window or something um, into this other world, which is the whole point of VR. So in many ways, it, yeah, it's actually gotten better than what they have on PC, which is nuts. The, the big limitations are, first of all, it's a mobile device that's powering it. And even though it's a lot you know, more powerful than most mobile devices, um, you're still trying to pump out a whole lot of pixels. And so developers like me need to uh, figure out ways to make that work. And so I'm making a game with pretty stylized graphics, and um, that's sort of one solution. Um, and I've been able to get the game running, and it feels good and looks pretty. So I, I don't think that's ultimately a, uh, you know, going to stop people from making great games. The other big limitation is the lack of positional tracking. So on the DK1, the first version of the Oculus Rift, you could look around and it had perfect rotational tracking. So if you kept your head in one place and looked all around, it would be fine. But if you moved your head like side to side or like leaned in to see something up close, it wouldn't pick up that movement. Um, the DK2 solved that by having an external camera, but they can't have an external camera on a mobile headset. And <laughs> right. so, yeah, uh, they essentially just had to, to drop positional tracking. Um, that's sorely missed, but it doesn't ruin the experience. It's just sort of like a throwback to the days of the DK1. Um, and it means you can't rely on things like leaning around corners or, you know, leaning into things. They're, they sort of simulate positional tracking a little bit by like, as you rotate your head, they model, um, you know, like a, a head and neck so that it moves around a little bit. But, um, you know, it, it's not perfect. And so that, that's one way in which mobile just, you know, is still a little bit behind PC. Uh, as someone that has, you know, is desperately waiting for the new iPhone because his current iPhone can barely make it through the day uh, with mm -hmm. standard use. The, the the one thing that came to mind immediately uh, when Gear VR announced was, A, it's cool that it's not, you know, tethered to a big bulky PC, which always seemed like that would be a huge problem going forward in terms of mainstream acceptance, but that, that also runs into... Another big technical hurdle, which is that like battery technology is not advancing at the same pace that everything else is. So mm -hmm. the idea of running this device uh, that is a very high-risk screen with experiences that are probably going to be graphically intensive, I, 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 I have a hard time wrapping my head around how the battery life stuff works. So I'm curious how the experience has been for you as you've been kind of tinkering with it. Well, I've been tinkering, and to tell the truth, I haven't like run a stress test to like just see how long I can get the battery to last with full use. Um, my impression is, yeah, that's like going to be one of the sacrifices that like it's going to burn through power. Um, it's uh, that's also something that's like heavily dependent on the software itself. So, you know, no optimization is ever wasted. The the more efficient I can get my game to run, the longer people will be able to play it without killing their battery. Um, Yeah, I guess that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> so it, like, for you, it seems it's just one of those, you know, it, so long as we're in the current position of of battery life being 
sort of achieve concern. That just means that optimization and the kinds of games that you put on this device uh, are, are probably also achieved. It's just like one of those variables you have to take into account that's different for mobile yeah. than it's different for a PC, which is obviously always going to be plugged into a wall. Yeah, it's just an interesting trade-off. If you want to not have any wires, um, that's one thing you're going to have to account for. And what have you learned over the course of developing a game that is specific to VR? I imagine what your aims were, what your expectations were, probably evolved as you know you go weeks and months into actually making the game. Uh, what's been sort of the biggest lessons as you've gone full-time into developing a game for virtual reality? Um, well, you know, that's, that's still sort of changing. Like I just came back from PAX and had like a, a thousand people play my game. And so I <laughs> sort of, you know, trying to reconcile some of the lessons I've learned there. I think early on, especially with the, uh, the DK one, the, you know, first version of the Oculus Rift where people would get sick a little more often, I really optimized for comfort. I did not want anyone to get nauseous playing my game. That is, you know, a cardinal sin. And so um, I, I think I succeeded in that. Like the game doesn't make any anybody sick, and as we've moved on to better hardware like the DK2 or Gear VR, um, it's still not making anybody sick. But now I actually, you know, the hardware is better, and I have a little more leeway, I think. And I may have sacrificed too much, sort of like the the cool feelings of being in VR, where like I'm playing around with you know drastically different depths of objects or feelings of movement in space. Um, you know, there are still things that are just clearly bad that just make people sick. But I think I'd like to, you know, try to find a better balance of, like, really exploring um, this technology and, like, you know, also just, like, playing around with the novelty of it. Because I would like people who are buying this early VR experience to just, like, you know, enjoy some gratuitous VR stuff. Um, but, yeah, finding a better balance between that and, uh, and pure comfort. So is, is part of the, the interest on your end for kind of jumping on board with, with Gear VR up front, the idea that, you know, even in the you know the press release today from Oculus and and Samsung, that the you know the content side seems like it's going to be pretty light at least you know day one, um, and that you know you've got something fairly far along that can actually be something a little more meaningful than you know looking at uh, you know a three D movie with a screen really close to your eyes. Yeah, I uh, I mean I've been working on this for over a year, and when I first started, you know, I had no idea what the release date of the Oculus Rift was going to be, and so I sort of said to myself, well, like worst case scenario for me, you know, the earliest it could possibly be released is sometime in the fall. So I set my whole schedule up so that I could finish the game by around now, and so now I, I've ended up with a game that's mostly finished. And hey, Gear VR is coming out. I have something that can run on a phone that's like a, a beefier experience. Um, and so, yeah, it seems kind of perfect. Like, I, I don't know what the content side is going to look like. There's actually been a lot of really interesting um, announcements and a lot of other early VR indie devs who have been announcing that, you know, their projects are going to be coming to Gear VR. Um, but, you know, I've sort of got tunnel vision on my project and making sure that's going to be done. So as far as I'm concerned, the, um, the only title that matters is definitely going to be available. <laughs> I, like, I like your, uh, your pitch quote. <laughs> what, what do you that, that's a little arrogant i don't know if i want my name you know <laughs> don't don't pull quote that one <laughs> that's gonna be the headline perfect um what do you what do you think this all looks like uh you know a couple of years from now you know it seems like you know there was some hope that maybe this fall would be when this all kind of kicks into high gear and it's taking a little bit longer but probably for the right reasons you know it's and it seems like fall 2015 is probably when we see you know 
you know, the Oculus start to get, you know, get getting a consumer product ready. Sony considering doing a consumer product with its own project Morpheus. So, you know, a year from now we can, we can kind of see where that's taking shape, but you know, where do you see this stuff in a couple of years or where do you want it to be in a couple of years? Um, so I think, yeah, I, I swear I'm going to answer your question directly, uh-huh. but first I'm going to take a tangent. I think a lot of the, um, the VR enthusiast community really wants VR to happen, and they're waiting for like some big explosive moment. Like What we all imagined originally was we were going to wait for a while, and then the Oculus Rift was going to come out, and VR would be a thing, and, you know, take over the world. Um, I think what we're seeing instead is a, a bit more of like a slow trickle out. So, what we, you know, we saw like DK1 and then DK2, uh, and now Gear VR, and it's being released, as you said, in sort of this like early access beta version. Um, then probably we're going to see iteration on that, and um, you know who knows exactly what the release plan for the eventual Oculus, Oculus Rift consumer version is going to be. What I think this indicates is that Oculus and the other hardware vendors are being really careful. They really want to make sure that the quality you know bar is set high, because if they deliver bad VR, then uh, you know there's this fear I think of turning off everyone from it. Like, if, you know, all your friends try VR and the first time they get sick because it's, you know, Google Google Cardboard or something, um, no one's going to forgive that or give it a second chance. And so they want to make sure they're, they're really nailing it on the first try. Um, and I think this is sort of like, the, the Gear VR is like the first step where they can really confidently put something forward. And even then they're sort of clearly saying this is targeted towards enthusiasts and early adopters. So... I think we're just going to see sort of a slow and steady and confident maturation of this hardware landscape. Well, it seems like they they are well aware that, you know, if they screw this up, if they don't stick the landing, that you only get one shot at this. And that yep. if VR stumbles out of the gate, you know, this time when the technology has matured to a point where you can see uh, you know a, a form of this becoming popular in the in sort of the mainstream consciousness obviously why facebook you know bought oculus they see that too mm-hmm. but it seems like all the companies involved are being cautious in ways that they know it will hurt everyone if they don't all get it right which is great yeah i mean that's that's exactly what we should be hoping for um as consumers and as developers cool awesome well I'll look at that four minutes before your podcast so yeah. um well, I appreciate your time. The game looks rad. I uh, walked by the booth and pointed some folks to it when they were oh, awesome. when they were asking me uh, about it, just because uh, I really liked that game jam version, and I'm <laughs> I'm psyched for uh, for the final version. Mm-hmm.